up, cause you were in the hood wood. I'm the Black Bandit, KJ Green, welcoming you to another edition of Sports from the Hoodwood. Coming up this week, damn it, we're gonna get better, and we're gonna have better takes. First off, is Jim Harbaugh really getting a fair shake from the NCAA and the Big Ten? We'll examine this curious situation. Jimbo Fisher gets the gate at Texas A&M. Was that coordinated from Mississippi State? After playing the same game? We'll look at why they got fired and what other coaches are on the hot seat in NCAA football. Does the Major League Baseball playoff system need an overhaul already? We'll examine some ways that the MLB can make the playoffs better and more interesting. Are you paying attention to the NBA tournament? Did you know there was an NBA tournament going on? We'll look at the teams that are playing well to start off this in-season tournament. NFL Week 11 picks, fat dap, head slap, might be throwing a few quick takes along the way. It's a busy week. We're going to get better. Snuffy says we're going to get better. Damn it, we're going to get better. It's Sports from the Hoodwood coming at you. Put your crash helmets on and both your seatbelts. Get ready. Let's go. Hoodwood, but we're trying to make sense of it all. I'm your man KJ Green, welcoming you back to the Hoodwood. And like I said at the top of the show, we're gonna try our damnedest to make it a better show. I know last week was kind of ragged, poor production skills, a lot of things that were done on deadline and done poorly, and that's my fault. And I take full responsibility for that. The people who send me emails, I also send you my deepest, humblest apologies. And we are going to try to make a better show. Let's start off the top with something that I still think doesn't make any sense. The Jim Harbaugh situation. The embattled coach of the Michigan Wolverines given another three-game suspension by, this time by the Big Ten, for what the allegations, nothing's been proven. Let's make sure we keep this on the hundred, as kids like to say. Nothing has been concretely proven. There's been allegations. There have been accusations. There have been some suspicious activity, but no one can really pin things down. Did a Michigan assistant buy tickets to other Big Ten venues? Yes. Was a, this same person seen at these venues? Yes. Did he steal signs? Who knows? But Deion Sanders, the coach of Colorado, said, you can steal all signs all you want, but it's going to come down to the people who are executing the place to stop it. And I don't see anyone really being able to stand up to Michigan. Michigan has one of the best teams in the country. They're 10-0 right now. And even without their coach on the sideline, they still went to Happy Valley and knocked off a good Penn State team. Now, 
I really know who's pretty much behind the accusation. I should say the accusations, but the calls for Michigan to be quote unquote severely punished. And that's their longtime rival antagonist to the South, the Ohio State University. It just seems to be that Ohio State would like nothing more than to see its primary and chief rival, not only in the conference, but in their division, shunted aside, put on the bench, put on some sort of probation, prohibited from playing in the Big Ten championship game. One less roadblock for the Ohio State University to get to back to the playoffs and the title game. Remember last year, both Ohio State and Michigan both made the college playoff. Now, with the team, with the fields expanding to 12 teams next year, this is going to be a little bit less of, a, of an issue because you're pretty much going to reserve two or three spots for the Big Ten every year in the college football playoff. But this year is different. Only four teams get in. And the Ohio State University would like nothing better than to put its chief rival and antagonist, Michigan, on the sideline so it can breeze its way to the college football playoff. The winner of the Ohio State-Michigan game has the easiest path to the, nas to the national football play to the national playoff. Are we really worried about them facing whoever it is coming out of the Big Ten West? Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska? No. Whoever wins what I think is the real Big Ten championship game played in Ann Arbor on November 25th will be the team that will represent the Big Ten in the college football playoff. And you pretty much got your usual cast of suspects. The Big, Ten is, the Big 12 has eliminated itself by hook or by crook. Oklahoma losing, Texas losing. They're not going to be in the, big, in the, in the, uh, the final four playoff. But you got the Pac-12. You got the Big Ten. You got the SEC champ. And you got the ACC champ. All of those four teams, whoever the representatives coming out of there, are pretty much going to be the likely ones making the college football playoff. Ohio State would like nothing more than to eliminate Michigan by them being on some sort of probation or punishment so they can, be, so they can have them out of the way. An easier time, an easier path to the playoff. It's a very obvious situation. It's Ohio State is the one that's crowing the loudest for Michigan to be punished. Now, if Ohio State gets caught up in the mess, then they want to mumble in their mouth and their hands and they don't want to hear that. And I know there's a lot of Ohio State fans that'll see this and say, "Oh, you're just a hater. You hate the Ohio State University because of our continued excellence." No, I just don't like the Ohio State University. I don't defend Michigan if they've done something that can be concretely proven without a shadow of a doubt, they should be punished without question. They should forfeit wins. They should be prohibited from going to the Big Ten Championship and the National College, uh, the National Playoff. But until you prove something, I'm talking about put it right there, concrete evidence. It's nothing more than supposition, rumor, and innuendo. And why is Jim Harbaugh the lone has to bear the lone brunt of this. Why is he, of course, he's a, the, the head football coach. And many people say it's his directive. But if he didn't know or if he didn't benefit from it, what's the, what does it make sense to punish him for? To keep him off the sideline. The wins are still going to go in his win column anyway. Win or lose. Make this make sense. 
Cause it doesn't. Twenty K a day. Snuffy says, give me twenty K a day. I would love to have twenty K a day. Twenty thousand dollars a day for the next three hundred sixty five days. That's $7.3 million. That's how much Jimbo Fisher will get per year for the next six years. A correction, seven years. No correction, eight years to 2031 when his contract with Texas A&M runs out. The Texas A&M coach is now the former Texas A&M coach after being fired after a, ironically, after a 51-10 win over Mississippi State. And Mississippi State's coach Zach Arnett also got the gig, but Arnett was was four and five with the Bulldogs. The Aggies are six and three, but they have no shot at going to the SEC championship game and have not been to the SEC championship game under Fisher's direction. And you will remember that five years, six years ago, that Fisher was lured to Flor from Florida State to Texas A&M with a big. $77 million contract, fully guaranteed. Texas A&M wanted to make a big splash and wanted to make a big push in the SEC with a big-name coach. Now, granted, Texas A&M has had some big wins. Remember, they knocked off Alabama at a last-second field goal last year. Dramatic win, if ever there was, in the Jimbo Fisher tenure. But they have not won big. They have not won lots of games. Now, you remember that Jimbo Fisher was once the head coach of Florida State, succeeding the legendary Bobby Bowden in 2010. He did an absolutely slam-bang job in Tallahassee, going 83-23 and and winning the 2014 BCS title, the national championship game, the precursor to the national playoff that you know now. He was lured to Texas A&M after a 5-6 and six win see, uh, uh, final season at Florida State when many people thought his seat was getting a little hot. He jumped to Texas A&M in 2018. And many people thought that national championship aspirations were in the clouds for the Aggies. The problem is, is that the Aggies never got to the SEC championship game. Not even once. Only finishing second in Fisher's first year in College Station. Now, they have won bowl games, winning the Gator, the Texas, and the Orange Bowl in a 9-1 season in 2020 when they had national championship aspirations. But they did not get to the SEC championship game in any of those six seasons in College Station. And the Aggies were 6-4 and four at the conclusion of their last week's win over Mississippi State. Texas A&M boosters said that they were running in place, staying in neutral. And with big-name Texas, rival Texas, on its way to the SEC next year, Texas A&M will be looking over its shoulder even more at a team, a big rival, that they try to get away from. Now it's going to be in their face. Jimbo Fisher did not cut it in College Station. He was an average coach. 45-25 and 25 in his tenure in College Station. 27-21 and 21 in conference play. That's not going to win your championships in the SEC. Doesn't even get to get you to the conference. Doesn't even get you a trip to Atlanta unless you're paying. Now, Jimbo Fisher getting a ridiculous, and I say ridiculous, amount of money to not coach. 
Don't go away mad. Just go away. His contract bought out for $77.5 million. The largest payout in college football history. Snuffy gives you the details. 20K a day after the initial 19.9 and 19.2 million dollar buyout or first payment, Texas A&M has to pay Fisher 7.2 million dollars a year for the next six years. That's twenty thousand dollars a day to do nothing. Now Fisher may very well land somewhere else. Love for him to coach at UC, but that's neither here nor there. He could land somewhere else and get a paycheck there. But the money that he is getting is guaranteed. Damn, I got I should have paid attention more when in football practice. Should learn more about coaching because Jimbo Fisher is going to take that money to the bank. Now there are some other coaches that are on the hot seat. Let's start with some of them, like in the Big Twelve, Dana Hogerson, who's underachieving Houston Cougars took what they felt was an embarrassing 24-14 loss to my beloved Bearcats in Houston. And many people say that Hogerson, after making the 21 AAC championship game, has really underachieved. And making the jump to the Big 12, he has not had his team ready. Pat Narduzzi of Pittsburgh, another team that has played poorly the whole season, they're 2-8. and eight, And they are 1-5 in the ACC. Martin Narduzzi, a Pitt Panther himself, maybe on the high seat himself, because alumni are not very happy with his play as the Panthers have had. Another coach that is under the under the gun is Tom Allen of Indiana. His team, the Hoosiers, have constantly over underachieved. And after Michael Penix Jr. transferred out of Indiana to Washington, those losses and those weaknesses became more apparent. That's another coach that's on the hot seat. Out west, you have Justin Wilcox of Cal. The Bears have played poorly this season and headed to the Pac-12. I mean, for a big, big part, headed to the... <laughs> I messed that up. I edited that, that out. But headed in the wave of college realignment, this is not going to sit well. Not with the alumni, not with anybody. Another team that's not caught up in the, in the realignment, kind of figure out where they're going, but Jake Dickert of Washington State. The Cougars have only four and six, and if they lose the Apple Cup to Washington, Dickert probably will be out. And, and with Washington being a top five team, foreshadowing, that they may not stand a chance of beating the Huskies in Seattle. There are some teams that are going to be changing up coaches real soon. Could it be Maryland? Could it be Baylor? Dino Babber's in trouble in Syracuse. A lot of people that I know that are Orange fans are not happy with his coaching acumen. But like usual, there are a lot of coaches on the hot seat. Take a timeout. Come back and ask the question, does the Major League Baseball playoff system need an overhaul after just one year? Sports from the Hoodwood comes back at you after this. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. 
Visit us at gotogetmarriednow.com. destination for no-nonsense commentary, thorough analysis, and logical insight on the world of sports. Now here's the man that Wikipedia and Google call for sports fact-checks, your host, KJ Green. Back in the Hoodwood, and Snuffy's asking is tweaking like twer- what? <sighs> Dog drives me nuts. The MLB playoffs and capping it with the World Series, Texas Rangers winning their first ever World Series crown, drew a lot of critics. A lot of people said that the format was messed up, that two six seeds should not have been in the World Series. The regular season between the 90-win Texas Rangers and the 84-win Arizona Diamondbacks, I almost said Texas Diamondbacks, the 90-win Texas Rangers and the 84-win Arizona Diamondbacks garnered some of the lowest ratings in MLB World Series history. 537 winning percentage between the two teams was the worst of any two World Series combatants ever. Lowest winning percentage ever. It was a decent series. The Rangers won in five games. They were clearly the superior team. But many people said that they weren't the best team in Major League Baseball. Now, the Los Angeles Dodgers failed again in the playoffs and has been notoriously bad in the postseason. And it's been calls for a postseason shakeup to reward teams who have won the marathon as opposed to teams who just sprinted at the end. Me personally, I like the way the uh, Major League Baseball playoffs are shaking out with the short three-game series in the wild-card round, and the best-of-five divisional series. It's called the mini-playoffs back in the day, when, they, when the, uh, only the division winners won and were granted access to the playoffs. People say there should be some exclusivity, that if you've won a number of games and win your division, you should have some sort of advantage. I, for one, say if you're that good, you should be able to win and survive a short series. Winning two of three, if you're the best, one of the best teams in Major League Baseball, you get a first round bye through the divisional, through to the divisional round. Many people say the argument of rest versus rust apply. Me personally, I think if you're good enough to win 106 games, yes, Los Angeles, I'm talking to you. If you're good enough to win 101 games like the Mets did last year and flamed out in the playoffs, that an extra day off should not throw off your timing. Not that much. Two days off? I don't know. Start the Major League Baseball uh, playoffs on a Monday. The regular season ends on a Sunday. Start them up the very next day. You may want to say a day for travel. You know, start them on a Tuesday. You always have that Monday off just in case of any kind of playoffs are needed. But, I think tweaking the playoffs any further than the way it is is not going to help. 
It's not going to help anything. It's not going to give anyone an advantage. Going back to four divisions where there are three, there are two in each league, so four total, is not really going to help. And many people say, well, you know, you, you can't really crown a true champion. Are you really going to pay attention to a ninth place team in a division? Because if you consolidate, oh my goodness, there's there are 15 teams in each league. So that means two divisions, you're going to have a seventh and eighth place team. Do you really think people are going to come out to watch a seventh and eighth place team play? When you still have teams in the wild card hunt, the last couple weeks of the season, you're drawing more interest. Play the game, leave the way the playoffs are as is. I like the playing for a bye and playing for the higher seed. The divisional winners should be rewarded with home games. If you're not winning a division, you should be forced to go on the road. The Texas Rangers were undefeated on the road. So what's a home field advantage going to matter anyway? What it seems like is that the purists are wanting to reward the teams that win 100-some-odd games because they are afraid that they're going to get tripped up by a hot team. If you're that good, you should be able to win. Like I said before, Snuffy's a little confused. Well, he's been confused the whole last couple of weeks. Just bear with me. He, when you mention tournaments, especially basketball tournaments, first thing he thinks of, first thing I think of is March Madness. The NBA is trying to push this in-season tournament onto the sporting public, and the sporting public is more or less respond with a yawn of indifference. Are you watching the NBA tourney? There was a very, very crazy game between the Timberwolves and the Warriors on Tuesday night, which ended up in some fights and ejection and a five-game suspension for Draymond Green. No relation. But it was part of the round-robin uh, NBA in-season tournament, which will culminate next lay, uh, early next month with the semifinals and finals in Vegas. Now, the regular season games, part of the round-robin, count toward the regular season standings and the round robins are separate from the regular season standings. I know it sounds really confusing and to the general sporting public this is very confusing. I mean it's like okay win is a win but a loss isn't really basically somebody's gonna just keep winning all the way through and if a team I'm thinking of a team rips off, say, a 10 or 12 game winning streak right now during this tournament, you know, the games that count to a tournament, they're going to end up getting to the finals, to the semifinals and finals and maybe winning the whole shooting match next $500,000 per player on tap for the winning team. Uh, I think it's $200,000 for the team that finishes runner-up. But you're going to have a team get hot and suddenly be handed this trophy like, hey, you've won this tournament. Go to Vegas. Or you, you, you finish first in your division. Go to Vegas. It's going to be weird. It's going to be really weird. And it's going to be really confusing to the sporting general public. You know what it is to me. And I follow the game. 
I follow basketball very intently. But honestly, during November, teams are still trying to feel each other out, get their rotations down, get their playing minutes. You see a lot of weird rotations and coaches kind of threshing things out. 82-game season is a long season. I mean, they start the season mid-October, run pretty much six months. I mean, I think it was uh, Tom Cruise and a few good men said it's a hockey season. Six months is a hockey season. It's a basketball season. This in-season tournament is confusing. Though the NBA has hyped it up and publicized it, the sporting public as a whole has regarded with a yawn. Look at ESPN. Pull up ESPN right now if you're watching the, 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 the podcast on YouTube. I thank you very much. But open up a different window. Open up ESPN right now and see what you find on the in-season tournament. I bet I bet Bearcats tickets on it. You're not going to find anything. You'll find games. You'll find statistics. If you go to the home page on ESPN, you'll see a quick link to the in-season tournament frequently asked questions. But that's it. I mean, you'll see the headline for in-season tournament and the tournament bracket. But the bracket is empty. You don't see a lot of information about this tournament. What, what it's, you know, who's in it, who's leading. You don't see any statistics. If you go to the standings, and it does have a standing for in-season tournament as well, but you got to look for it. There's no hype about it. People just aren't going to, they aren't figuring it out. They aren't really getting it. I mean, it's supposed to be a round robin that you're supposed to play your other five teams in your bracket and be an advance on. Three division winners and a wild card. And then they play a, a single game knockout tournament in December, December 4th through 9th. But those matchups are still to be determined. And these, the, at least the, the, the quarters and semis, count toward the regular season. All of the stats count toward the regular season. But it's confusing to a sportaholic like myself. If I'm confused, what do the regular sporting public think of it? Let me know in your comments. You know, drop me a line. Tell me what you think. Are you following a team? Like, my, my Minnesota Timberwolves are playing fairly well, have started out very well. And they've also started, as of this taping, 2-0 in the in-season tournament. The, will it impact? Will it make a big deal? Will the team that wins the in-season tournament be the favorite for the NBA title? I doubt it. Because I think some team's going to get hot and, and streak toward to win this tournament. And that's going to be it. They'll get the extra paycheck and that'll be it. Will they raise a banner for it? <laughs> it's... It makes a little or no sense. Let's take another timeout. Come back with week 11 of the NFL picks after a couple of really solid weeks of win. Eh. But still another winning week. We'll see if we can build on it. We'll see what we can do. We've got a lot of good games this week. Sports from the Hoodwood rolls on after this. I'm actor Rajim A. Gross. Some of the 
studios would like to scan our images and only pay us for one day's worth of work and be able to use our likenesses, our voices, our mannerisms as computer-generated characters, not only in the movie that we might be filming in, but in all future films as well. That's not fair. And I thank the SAG board members that are fighting for my rights as an actor to work on a union film. So I just want to say standing in complete solidarity with everyone. Thank you. You are tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the internet's foremost location for opinion, analysis, and insight on the world of sports. Here now is the man banned from sports trivia contests in 38 states and four Canadian provinces, and not to mention Guam. Your host, KJ Green. You are back in the Hoodwood. My name is KJ Green, and let's get into the Week 11 picks. And the picks last week just kind of swung wildly. I lost a couple of games and shot at three straight double-digit win weeks on last-second field goals going the wrong way. Cleveland zapping Baltimore and Baltimore and the Texans knocking off Bengals in Cincinnati going the wrong way for your humble scribe. But most of my losses last week were close. The Niners-Jag game being a wild exception. But we are getting to the end of the bye weeks and Atlanta, who was 4-6 after losing to Arizona 25-23. Indianapolis, who was 5-5 five five after defeating 2-8 Patriots 10-6 in Frankfurt. And New Orleans, who lost to Minnesota 27-19, dropped 5-5, five five, are on their respective buys this week. Submitted for your approval, perusal, and review are the NFL Week 11 picks, with the odds being brought to you by ESPN for comparison and entertainment purposes only. If you bet the lines and lose, I might, might feed you, uh, send you off with a hot plate for Thanksgiving, but I'm not paying your bookie, so don't even ask. Now, just a heads up, I'm going to be sending a smaller package of picks, just a, a, uh, a podcast of picks of Thanksgiving Day and Black Friday games. I don't like the name Black Friday, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, the four games for those days, that'll be sent on Thursday morning, and the rest of the uh, Week 12 package will be sent on Saturday. That's just a bit of a heads-up programming note. And also, do uh, peruse the fine folks at 506sports.com for an extensive coverage map of the games that are being played in your area. All times listed are Eastern Standard Times. Let's get started with the games of November 19th. This is a CBS doubleheader weekend. Again, check your local listings for the times and games in your area. We will start off with 6-3 Steelers, taking on the 6-3 Browns at Brown Stadium in Cleveland. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Browns are 2.5-point favorites. Last week, the Steelers defeated the Packers 23-19, while the Browns defeated the Ravens 33-31. Fast fact is the Steelers notched six sacks in their week to win against the Browns. 
Now, the Steelers are looking like that horror movie slasher that just won't go away. When you think you got them dead, they rise up and they come slashing at you again and again. They're firmly in the playoff hunt and they head to Cleveland to face a Brown squad who are flying high after a satisfying rally to defeat their longtime bully in Baltimore. This looks like a grimy slug it out game. Both teams have long-standing beef and this will be a very ugly game. Something keeps telling me that the Browns are way overdue for a pratfall, and especially with Deshaun, now, Deshaun Watson out, out with a bum shoulder, that another longtime bully will be the benefactor. The Browns are the favorite. That's why I'm going to start out with Pittsburgh being the upset of the week. Next on the docket is the 2-8 Cardinals, taking on the 5-4 Texans at NRG Stadium in Houston, 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Texans are four-point favorites. Last week, the Cardinals defeated the Falcons 25-23, while the Texans defeated the Bengals 30-27. Fast fact is Texan receiver Noah Brown became only the third Texans receiver to notch back-to-back 150-yard -back receiving games. The other two, you might have heard of them, DeAndre Hopkins and Andre Johnson, legendary Texans receivers, if ever there were one. Kyler Murray, yes, Snuffy, he's still in this league. He came back after a year out with injuries to rally the Cardinals to an ambush of the Falcons. He'll lead the Cards into Houston to face a surprisingly tough Texans team who stunned the Bengals on the road. If C.J. Stroud doesn't win Rookie of the Year, they should discontinue the vote, period. He is the real deal, and the Texans are getting to be a real handful. The good times will continue as they should handle the otherwise forgettable cards. Murray will make it a game, but the young, hungry Texans defense will face a couple of fatal mistakes on the cards part. The pick here is Houston. Next on the docket, we have the 3-6 Titans taking on the 6-3 Jaguars at Everbank Stadium in Jacksonville. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Jaguars are 6.5-point favorites. Last week, the Titans lost to the Buccaneers 20-6, while the Jaguars lost to the 49ers 34-3. Fast fact here is the Jags win will give them their first three-game win streak over the Titans since 2005-2006. Now, both teams come into this game off listless losses. The Titans' offense has been MIA for weeks, while the Jags were supposed to be making the step-up-to-elite status for the showdown against the Niners. Instead, got stepped all over. The Jags will find the sledding much easier against the Titans' offense. They can't even rely on Derrick Henry anymore, since everybody knows he's getting the ball more often than not. Will Levis is suffering through growing pains, and the Jags defense will take advantage of it. The pick here is Jacksonville. Next on the docket, we have the 5-5 five five Raiders taking on the 6-3 Dolphins at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Dolphins are 12-point favorites. Last week, the Raiders defeated the Jets 16-12 while the Dolphins were on their bye. Fast fact here is the Dolphins are 6-0 against teams with losing records, 0-3 against teams with winning records. Go figure. The Raiders are feeling themselves after a pair of wins to start the Antonio Pierce regime, but let's keep it 100. As kids like to say, it was against weak teams from Gotham at home. They want to be, they're going to be smacked back in the cold reality facing a rested Dolphins team that wants to keep stacking wins to stay ahead of Buffalo in the AFC East. I see no reason why the Dolphins shouldn't have their way. The pick here is Miami. Next on the docket, we have the 6-3 Cowboys taking on the 1-8 Panthers at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Cowboys are 10.5-point favorites. Last week, the Cowboys defeated the Giants 49-17, while the Panthers lost to the Bears 16-13. Fast fact, the Cowboys are 10-3 all-time against the Panthers in the regular season. 
but curiously they've lost both playoff meetings, which have both been in Charlotte. Now, folks feeling froggy after bouncing back strong with throttle the G-Men, they get another highly beatable opponent in the Panthers, who are coming off a mini-bye after another week showing last Thursday against the Bears. The Pope fans are trying to make you believe they are the real deal, but their record has been puffed up with cream puffs on their schedule. Now, this game will be no different. I expect Cowboy jerseys will vastly outnumber the Panther gear in the stands, and the visitors will want to make short work of this game as they have a tight turnaround to their annual Thanksgiving home game against Washington. The pick here is Dallas. Next on the docket, we have the 3-7 Bears taking on the 7-3 Lions at Ford Field in Detroit. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Lions are nine-point favorites. Last week, the Bears defeated the Panthers 16-13, while the Lions defeated the Chargers 41-38. Fast fact will be a family affair when the Lions are are, are are try it again. Fast fact, it will be a family affair when the Lions are on offense. Lions tackle Panay Sewell will be looking to block kid brother Noah, who is a linebacker for the Bears. The Bears won a tight game against equally woebegone Panthers team and now head to Motown to face the surging Lions, who are coming off a thrilling win in LA over the Chargers. Normally, I would say this would be an evenly played game between two of the older franchises in the NFL, but this ain't a normal year. The Lions are exceptionally strong and balanced on both sides of the ball, and the Bears will not have readily answers. In a weird year, the picks are just getting even weirder, but the Lions are earning my trust, and with a real chance to bury the division in a week. They have a weak Packers team coming in on Thanksgiving. They will look ready to play the role of a bully, and this looks like a no-brainer pick. The Detroit Lions are the Hoodwood Rock of the Week. Next on the docket, we have the 4-5 Chargers taking on the 3-6 Packers. At Lambeau Field in Green Bay, 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox, the Chargers are three-point favorites. Last week, the Chargers lost to the Lions 41-38, while the Packers lost to the Steelers 23-19. The fast fact here is the Packers have, haven't scored over 20 points and scoring 24 in a loss to the Falcons in September. These two teams are really hard to figure out. Chargers lose games they should win. The Packers have looked lost from the word go. I trust Justin Herbert a lot more than I do George Love. And though the Chargers are not the best of teams, especially on the road, the so-called Lambeau mystique is long gone. The pick here is the Los Angeles Chargers. Come back with the back half of the 1 o'clock games, as well as the late games and the primetime games. Sports from Hoodwood continues after this.
You're tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the internet's foremost location for the most honest insight, thorough analysis, and unfiltered opinion on the world of sports. Now, once again, here's the man of the hour, After Hours, your host, KJ Green. You are back in the Hoodwood. My name is KJ Green, and before I continue with the picks, let me give a quick shout out to one of our Hoodwood voiceover announcers. Erin Wilde, who just recently became a grandmother, and her pictures of her little grandbaby are just adorable. Might post some here and there, maybe in the hoodwood. But let's continue with NFL picks for Week 11. Next on the docket, we have the 2-8 Giants, taking on the 4-6 Commanders at FedEx Field in Landover, Maryland. 1 o'clock kickoff on Fox. The Commanders are 9-point favorites. Last week, the Giants lost to the Cowboys 49-17, while the Commanders lost to the Seahawks 29-26. Fast fact here is the Giants have yet to score a first quarter touchdown. Now the G-Men got flat out housed in Dallas and stay on the road to the nation's capital to face a commander squad coming off a heartbreaking loss in Seattle. Simply put, the G-Men are a joke on offense. Their 118 points is dead last in the league. They have defenses on the field way too much and while the commanders are far from a juggernaut, they have the capability of beating weaker teams. Now watch this be a nail-biter. The pick here is Washington. Turning to the late docket games, we start off with the 4-5 Buccaneers taking on the 6-3 49ers at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara, California. 4-5 kickoff on Fox. The 49ers are 11.5 point favorites. Last week, the Buccaneers defeated the Titans 20-6, while the 49ers defeated the Jaguars 34-3. Fast fact is the Niners have scored 30 or more points in all six of their wins and exactly 17 in each of their three losses. I think that makes sense. Now the Buccaneers are catching the Niners at the very wrong time. After slogging through an ugly win at home against the weak Titans, they head west to face a Niners team that may have gotten their mojo back after what may have been a season-saving rout of the Jags. The Niners feel disrespected after a puzzling three-game slide and are looking for some get-back and the Bucks are in their way. This will not be pretty. The pick here is San Francisco. Next on the docket, we have the 4-5 Jets taking on the 5-5 Bills at Highmark Stadium, Orchard Park, New York. 425 kickoff on CBS. The Bills are 7-point favorites. Last week, the Jets lost to the Raiders 16-12, while the Bills lost to the Broncos 24-22. Fast fact here is the Bills quarterback Josh Allen has been intercepted at least once in each of his last six games. The Jets' offense is offensive. The Bills' offense, once feared, is getting that way, too. These teams face off in a game that I have a feeling will be frustrating for a lot of people. Josh Allen has not been the same since the loss of Brian Dable last year as coach to the, as coach of the Giants. And Ken Dorsey was a poor, poor substitute. He got the gate last week after a pathetic showing against the Broncos. I think the Jets' defense will provide a challenge, but the Bills will have just enough firepower to overcome the pick here is Buffalo. Next on the docket, we have the 6-3 Seahawks taking on the 3-6 Rams at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. 425 kickoff on CBS. The Seahawks are favored by a single point. Last week, the Seahawks defeated the Commanders 29-26, while the Rams were on their bye. Fast fact here is the all-time series between the two teams is even at 27. Count the two postseason Rams wins. Now, the Seahawks dawdled and dithered, but finally woke up to escape at the gun against the Commanders at home. 
been now headed down the West Coast to face a rested Rams team that will welcome Matthew Stafford back at the helm. I think this may be a tight game, and it wouldn't surprise me to see the Rams catch the Seahawks looking past them to a Thanksgiving Day night showdown with the 49ers and pull the upset. I think that the Seahawks will get revenge for their opening day egg that they laid against the Rams in week one, and will have just enough focus at hand to get the win. The pick here is Seattle. Sunday night game is the 6-4 Vikings taking on the 4-5 Broncos at Empower Field at Mile High in Denver. 8-20 kickoff on NBC. Broncos are two and a half point favorites. Last week the Vikings defeated the Saints 27-19 while the Broncos defeated the Bills 24-22. Fast facts, these two teams currently hold the longest winning streak in their respective conferences. The Broncos are tied with a number of teams at three-game winning streak while the Vikings' five-game winning streak is the longest active in the NFL. Five weeks ago, I was convinced that this game was going to get flexed. Both teams were 1-4 and four and were teams that the NFL just did not want on their coveted primetime hype stage of Sunday Night Football. But a funny thing happened. Both predicated on losses to the Chiefs. The Vikings proceeded to rip off five wins in a row despite losing Kirk Cousins to a season-ending Achilles injury and have been buoyed by the play of young Josh Dobbs. Now, the Broncos played the Chiefs tough on a Thursday night game and then proceeded to rip off three wins of their own including a stunning beatdown of those same Chiefs at home and a grinder win at Buffalo. So the NFL eschewed the flex on this game, and you have a decent matchup between two of the hotter teams in the NFL. Can the Dobbs magic keep going? The Vikings are a decent road team. They're 4-1 on the road, while the Broncos are eh, not as fearsome in their mile-high fortress. I should know better, but I think that the scrappy Vikings are winning ugly, especially with their defense, and it suits them just fine that that keeps going as they continue to write another improbable chapter. The pick here is Minnesota. The Monday night game is a doozy. You have the 8-1 Eagles taking on the 7-2 Chiefs at GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. 8-15 kickoff on ABC and ESPN. The Chiefs are favored by three points. Last week, both teams were on their respective buys. And fast fact is this is only the second time that the previous year's Super Bowl has had a rematch the very next season on Monday Night Football. The Packers defeated the Patriots 28-10 in 1997, 10 months after beating them in Super Bowl 31. Now this is, like I said, a doozy, by far the game of the week. Both teams rested at the top of their respective conferences. This is a matchup of the first rank. Believe me when I tell you that. Now the Chiefs offense has looked a bit ragged, but the defense has played lights out strong. The Eagles are flat out the best team in the league, bar none. Their offense is humming behind Jalen Hurts, and their defense is spade tight. I'm looking for a tight game, reminiscent of last year's title game, and I think that the Eagles force the Chiefs to be even more one-dimensional than usual and pull out a tight win. The pick here is Philadelphia, and there you have it. There'll be no Thursday quick pick, as I mentioned at the top of the uh, segment. Thursday and Friday picks will be sent and broadcast to you on Thursday morning. Last week, I was 9-5 with the lock, upset, and Thursday pick correct. Overall, I'm 95-53, and 9-1 on my locks, and 5-5 five and five on the upset. I'm on a four-game roll on upset. Knock on wood. <laughs> I'm hoping to keep going with that upset right at the top of the broadcast. Let's take a final timeout. Come back with the Goodwood Hot Five, Fat Dap, Head Slap, and the final word from the wood. Sports from the Hoodwood comes down the home stretch after this.
Hi everyone, I'm KJ Green. If you're looking to reach a broad audience for your advertising dollar, look no further than where you are right now. You can advertise right here in the Hoodwood. If you need spots created as well, Black Banner Productions Enterprises can create commercial content that drives sales and gets results. You can send your inquiries to ads at blackbannerproductions.com. Black Banner Productions and Enterprises. Sounds, ideas, and images of the 21st century. And the final word from the wood. Hoodwood Hot Five continues to be the college Hot Five. Not necessarily the playoff teams, but right now it just seems that the order of them are the pretty much the way that the college football playoff is listing. For now, things could change. Let's start out with the number five team, which is the Washington Huskies, who are 10 and 0, 7 and 0 in the Pac-12. They defeated. Utah 35-28 and remain last as they were last week, number five. The next game is at Oregon State. The number four ranked team in the Hoodwood Hot Five is Florida State Seminoles. They are 10-0, 8-0 in the ACC. They are fourth last week, fourth this week. Defeated Miami 27-20 and their next game is against North Alabama for their senior day. Coming in at number three is the Ohio State University, who was 10-0, 7-0 in the Big Ten last week. They were the third-ranked team, and they defeated Michigan State 38-3. And their next game is their senior day against Minnesota. Our number two-ranked team is the Georgia Bulldogs. They are also 10-0, 7-0 in the SEC. They were ranked number two last week, defeating Ole Miss 52-10. Their next game is at Tennessee. And the number one team in the Hoodwood Hot Five poll, number one last week, number one this week, continues to be the Michigan Wolverines. They are 10-0, 7-0 in the Big Ten. After defeating Penn State 24-15, their next game is at Maryland. That's my Hot Five. What's yours? Move into the Fat Dap Head Slap of the Week. The Fat Dap of the Week goes to the Vikings newly installed starting quarterback Josh Dobbs, who reached out to a Vikings fan who has alopecia. If you've never noticed that Josh Dobbs is also bald, so also suffers from the uh, skin condition, which basically makes a person pretty much hairless. But he reached out to this fan and sent him a care package full of memorabilia, including a signed jersey. You can bet your bottom dollar that that young fan will be a Josh Dobbs fan, if not a Vikings fan, for life. That simple, kind gesture. Fat Dap Josh Dobbs for a great, powerful move. Our head slap of the week goes to Andre Rublev, 
who was so frustrated against his play about his play against Carlo Alcaraz in the ATP Finals in Turin, Italy, that he repeatedly hit himself with the racket. Not slammed the racket on the ground, not smacked himself upside the head a couple times, but he kept hitting himself on the knee repeatedly until he drew blood. During his 7-5-6-2 loss to the two-time Grand Slam winner in the round robin stage, Rublev, who has already been eliminated from moving on to the semifinals, was so frustrated he kept hitting himself. Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? Why you... Andre Rublev, come on, man. You got to be better than that. And now, without much further ado, let's go to the final word from the wood. Somebody explain this to me. I want somebody to explain this to me like I'm a five-year-old. What does the NCAA have against its member schools? Do they feel like they need to exert control over something since they can't really control much of anything nowadays? Now there was a time that the NCAA exuded control on most if not all college sports. They had the power to suspend and restrict players, coaches and schools, and more often than not, in those lower divisions, they still do have that power. Witness Division II football coach Tony Ines of Fair State, who's being suspended for a playoff game because of his players smoking cigars after winning the D2 National Championship last year. Now it is trite and a bit silly, but the NCAA has to flex on someone. Gone are the days when the NCAA could flex on schools, put them on probation, and threaten them with heavy-handed measures like probation and the so-called death penalty that it gave to SMU football and Tulane basketball in the 80s. But once the schools, the major schools, sued for more control over the TV contracts, the NCAA and their power began to erode fall apart. Teams began to jump from conference to conference, the power eroded further. And though they have created the college football playoff and the NCAA men's basketball tournament, two of its biggest cash cows ever, the NCAA as a whole is not once the powerful entity that it once thought it was. Now the NCAA does have its pet institutions. Yes, I'm looking at you, Notre Dame, and schools that they're always looking to punish, like my alma mater. If a team gets too good too fast, you can be sure the NCAA will be snooping around trying to find a reason to bring them down. They have tried mightily bring the USC Trojans down, especially when Pete Carroll was their coach. And we're not going to fully detail all the grudges they've had long-standing against Miami of Florida, though I will point out that 10 years ago that they accused the Canes of improprieties that took almost three years for them to make a decision. They used lawyers from the convicted felon and racketeer Nevin Shapiro to try to get answers from Miami Associates to play a gotcha game and strengthen their otherwise weak case. Turned out the NCAA suffered a major black eye and a very bad pub hit from these actions and quietly dropped the case after a small, giving a small slap on the wrist to the U. It seems that the NCAA duels out its roles in capricious manners, allowing for transfer for some, but not all for some players in some schools, but not all players for all schools. I will admit that I have a personal beef with the NCAA as they've been repeatedly denying the transfers of two big men from Utah Valley and Temple respectively to my beloved alma mater and are not giving a good reason other than because we said so. No. Stop asking. Now, and other, otherwise it's been wild, wild west for transfers and NIL deals to be sure. And the NCAA has shown itself to be largely toothless in its enforcements. Now, does the college game need an oversight? Yes. 
but it's increasingly looking like the four power conferences will consolidate themselves into a conglomerate of their own and take their ball of money that they've garnered from their lucrative TV deals and tell the NCAA to kick rocks. Will I be happy when that happens? I can't say for certain, but it will be nice to see the NCAA put in its proverbial place. And that is the final word from the wood. music coming up in the background, you know that means that your time here in the Goodwood is just about done, and I thank you so much again for your visit. The show's email is kjgreen at sportsandgoodwood.com. Please send me emails regarding show topics both past and future, questions, comments, and both praise and criticism about the show. I welcome your comments and correspondence, and I will try to get back to you in a timely manner. Now, the show's website is sportsmoodwood.com and has a back catalog of the show dating back 11 years in both audio and video form. So you can check that out in the show if you can make it. Join the debate and conversation on the Sportsman's Goodwood page on Facebook that has video podcast simulcasts as well as other topics, funny stuff I find on the web, plenty of great sports debate, and lots more. I post often, corresponding with members frequently. Video versions are on YouTube, Please hit that subscribe button, smash that like button for more great content. Link to the podcast is also on the show's tribal feed, which is at Goodwood Sports. It has a host of other interesting stuff I find there. You can come uh, correspond with the show, and I will correspond back to the like and follow there as well. Now, the audio version is on Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, Google Podcasts, iTunes and Apple, and a host of other fine podcast platforms and providers. If the Goodwood is not on your favorite, please ask for it. Drop me a line, and I'll see what I can do to get it there. As always, special thanks to Rage Pictures for their continuing production, assistance, and website development for the show. And greatly appreciated. And that's it from the Hoodwood, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Until next time, fellow sports fans, I'm KJ Green, 30. Sports from the Hoodwood is a Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises presentation of a 551 audio and films production.